Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we highlight the people, the technologies, and the companies that are shaping the future of retail. Today is a really special day, because today, Ann and I are what I would call super fans of our guest. He is someone we followed closely over the last, gosh, I think it's been almost five years now. Someone I've quoted in my writing probably more often than I can remember, and someone who has also been a great supporter of our work from the very beginning. And I would say, most importantly, somebody that both Ann and I admire greatly. And today, I'm excited to announce that we are joined by Anil Agarwal, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Shop Talk. Anil, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, this is great. I mean, we, we have known you, I think, since Shop Talk started. I went to the original show. I, I think we talk about it all the time on our podcast. I've written about it extensively across a whole number of different news outlets. But for anyone that's maybe been living under a rock for the last, say, five years in the retail industry, who might be listening to this topic for the first time, Anil, how did it all begin? Like, what is ShopDoc? How did it come to be? Well, okay. So uh, I guess stated in its most basic way, ShopTalk is a B2B retail industry event. It's supposed to take place every year, but obviously it didn't happen this year. Uh, and we usually hold it in Las Vegas. Um, last year, 2019, we had about 8,500 attendees. Uh, and this year, right before we had to cancel, we were on track for about 10,000. Um, so if you were to talk specifically about um, conference format events, that would make Shop Talk the largest globally um, and also the fastest gro- growing since we started it in 2016 with uh, 3,000 people. Um, but if you look beneath the surface, um, I think you'd see that Shop Talk is more than just an event. And I think that people who've attended um, the show would agree with that. Um, I like to think of it as um, it's a resource and a utility for the industry. Um, and that's not by accident. We, we did do that by design. We set out to build something that had um, a very specific value and usefulness uh, for people. Uh, so our thesis from the very beginning <clears throat> was that big shifts in technology and consumer behavior um, were about to reach a tipping point. Um, and bear in mind, this is 2015. And so we felt the industry was about to undergo some really big changes. Um, and as hard as it might seem to uh, believe talking about it today, um, that view was not shared by everyone uh, at the time. I talked to a lot of people uh, in retail back in 2015 and even in early 2016 uh, who told me flat out that they didn't see um, you know, the need for uh, a new show and they weren't planning for any you know, major changes uh, in their businesses. Um, you know, but I was in a fortunate position because I'd seen this before with fintech. Um, and I recognized what was happening and was going to happen in retail. So in my mind, there was no doubt that the retail industry was on this verge of, uh, of disruption. Um, and my view was just like uh, fintech, uh, that the industry would need some kind of support um, of different types of support mechanisms and dealing with that disruption. Um, and uh, that a new industry event could be one of those uh, types of support. And so that's, that's why we created uh, shop talk. Um, you know, we did two things, I would say two primary things to make uh, shop talk a reality. Um, the first was to eliminate, you know, what was an incredible amount of fragmentation in the industry, um, primarily a bifurcation of, of retail and e-commerce professionals, uh, which existed literally in every way that you can slice and dice that. Uh, so we went out to the industry, we went out to the stores, the online digital groups, we went out to the startups, to the established um, retailers and brands, the investment community, real estate developers, and and literally pieced together um, what we felt was the relevant new community uh, of people that um, uh, would would need to work together to create the future of retail uh, in, uh, in this disruptive period. So as overused as the term is, um, you know, our primary uh, asset was to really break down the silos at an industry level 
Um, and, and we believe that that would help the re- industry remake itself. And then the other thing we did, kind of the second thing we built on top of that new community, um, was we helped it reframe its dominant narrative around digital. So there was a lot of conversation at the time about omnichannel, um, but I would say it was restricted mostly to, um, you know, inventory alignment systems integration between online and offline, uh, as opposed to really thinking about um, the consumer backwards and how is the consumer going to discover shop and buy in the future and what does that mean for retail and how retail is configured today. Um, so, you know, I think if you fast forward to now and uh, and I would a- answer the question, you know, what is shop talk? I'd say mm-hmm. beyond an event, um, it's really a community of people that I like to call change makers um, who are all focused on working together to create the future of retail as a digital business. I, and I can remember that vibe going, you know, going to having attended the very first one and it's even it's it's interesting to hear you say all that too in retrospect too because there was even a period of time where um you know omnichannel was kind of falling out of vogue and now it's you know now it's back in vogue uh again because of i think the things that are happening anil i i was explaining shop talk to somebody just before this interview who wasn't familiar with the conference who works uh, with a cpg company and she was asking me you know what's different about that this conference or this group. And I, I think one of the things that I explained, and I think you guys do really well, is find a way to kind of get around the typical sorts of questions um, and you get more out of the guests and speakers. You really, I think, challenge each of them individually. Are there things that you're really working with them to try to do? Or do you think it's part of this uh, this foundation that you've laid of we're really going to talk about the issues that people don't realize they need to pay attention to, but will now during this conference? Yeah, that is a really good question. And I think you answered it as well. It's actually all of those things. Um, you know, I think that the first thing is that when people feel part of something bigger than just, I'm just going to an event and speaking there, they want to make a contribution um, and they want whatever they say to mean something. So part of it is actually just creating the environment in which people want to say things. Um, they want to uh, make a valuable contribution um, but then another part of it is way more tactical, which is uh, help give them the structure um, so that they can be, you know, effective with the things that they want to say. So, for example, you know, before Shop Talk came along, um, the standard thing at most shows was that uh, they would have, you know, all of their omni-channel sessions, and then they would have one session on, you know, innovation in retail. What we did was we took the concept of innovation in retail, and we we made that the the subject matter of the entire event, and then we uh, we split up what innovation means into much smaller pieces. So when we go to someone and we say, "Can you speak at our, at Shop Talk?" We're asking them to speak on something very specific, as opposed to something more general. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 definitely, we don't ask people to just speak, you know, so generally. Uh, uh, that it that it falls under the the umbrella of the topic of innovation. So uh, I think it is both the environment we created, um, uh, as well as how we helped, you know. And, and and I'd put that down also to the community of people that we brought together. But then also, you know, I talked earlier about helping create the narrative around digital, um, and 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 really helping uh, create that narrative by segmenting. The, 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 uh, the conversation very deliberately and then asking people to speak with respect to segments as opposed to broadly. Anil, I mean, to, to those last few points, what's your take on where the retail industry is now then? Like as, you, as this community is formed and as, you've see, as you, you talk back to where you saw it at that point, where would you say the industry is now in terms of, you know, its education? You know, I think we've entered a period where um, retail is kind of like pretty much every other industry at this point in time that, um, that it's not natively digital. Mm -hmm. And so um, it is on a journey um, to 
being digitized. And, you know, as much as, um, you know, people, I, I think there's a tendency for people to overestimate how much change will happen in the short term. And then when that change doesn't happen, they can become very skeptical. But I think the reality is that that people will overestimate the amount of change that can happen in the short term. But at the same time, they will underestimate the amount of change that can happen in the long term. Mm -hmm. So what I see happening here is that um, there is just going to be a steady state of change. Uh, it's going to take time. Uh, it's, going, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, but we are ultimately going to see a transformation of the retail industry. Um, I'd, I'd say definitely over the next decade, uh, the rest of the 20s, um, probably more likely over the next five to seven years. And I think COVID has accelerated that. So, you know, you know my take on where the industry is, um, it, it went through a disruptive period, 2016 to 2017. It came out of a legacy normal. Uh, it is now squarely within this new normal. And the transformation of the industry is going to happen in that new normal over an extended period of time. So, um, you know, uh, unlike, you know, when, as I described in 2015 and 16, that I would talk to people and, and, and there were still people who said, um, you know, we don't think that, that there is going to be significant amounts of change. That is gone. People accept that there is change. They've reorganized their businesses, their teams, and their internal structures around transformation, uh, it's still just going to take time uh, for that transformation to, um, you know, to uh, happen. I think some of it is that um, it's a process of trying and iterating to figure out what mix of new trend technologies and business models are going to work. It's not like someone just is just going to find the answer and make it happen. Um, it's a process to get there. Um, and, uh, and, Companies have to go through that process and individuals have to go through that process. And that takes time. Yeah. And it, it's, it's fine. It's, that quote's great too. I actually almost brought that up because I remember when you said that on stage a couple of years ago and I thought it was apropos to, 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 to the question I was asking you. So I, I, that's something I've always been drawn to. The irony in this too is like you guys have also been going through, I would say a similar thing. I mean, for background too, for those that don't know, sold shop talk in 2019 to the high group, you've stayed on as CEO and then bam, coronavirus hits out of nowhere. Ann and I included were set to fly out of Vegas. I think like, I want to say it was like the very next week. Right. And you have to reorganize like what's going through your mind when all that happened. And then how do you place what you do in the context with what you just described as well? Firstly, March feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Two lifetimes that was ago. March this year. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think the initial reaction we had was um, we didn't realize that that the pandemic would be as long and protracted as it now clearly is, has been and it will continue to be. Hmm. Um, so in March, it felt way more like that this was going to be a short-term setback. Um, and so our, our response to it was to just push out the show a few months. So we actually moved initially shop talk from uh, March to September. It would have been happening maybe this week or next week. I forget exactly what the dates were. Um, so, you know, I would say that, that it was definitely a surprise and a shock that we would cancel an event, that something like this would happen. I think that, you know, certainly in our lifetimes, it's, it's unprecedented. And so we shared that same reaction as everybody else. I would say maybe, maybe for us, it was mitigated a little bit because, you know, if you're in the events industry, um, uh, you live with the reality that something might go wrong. I mean, it is kind of the nature of the business that, um, you know, there could be a weather related event. You know, we've had snowstorms on either end of our events. Something could happen on site. Um, and it's, I think especially for me coming from the tech sector, I've always been more conscious of like real world things that can go wrong. So, on the one hand, I would say the initial reaction in March was that um, that it's a postponement, not a cancellation. It's short term, not long term. Um, we didn't expect it to happen, but let's face it, we're in the kind of business where something like this can happen. So I think we were surprised, um, but at the same time felt like something like this happening 
was never outside of the realm of possibility. Um, and so we felt that it was just about getting through the next few months and that everything would be back to normal. We'd have a delay and that would be it. And Neil, I have to say, I have some pretty high expectations for uh, Shop Talk Meetup coming up pretty soon um, because you know we've been living in this virtual world of webinars and conferences, but you can already see the Shop Talk team coming together to really make this a different type of event. What can we expect from Shop Talk Meetup and why would you, would you tell people that this is something that's really worth the, the few days of investment? Yeah. Let me take you maybe through the journey of how we got there to Shop Talk Meetup to begin sure. with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it'll help understand like why we've built what we've built. So, you know, I mentioned that, um, you know, the, initially we felt like um, the impact of COVID would be, you know, short term. So the very first thing that we did was um, uh, we postponed the, uh, the event and uh, kind of our gut reaction was, um, it, it was actually very self-centered. It was uh, to think about how do we stay relevant? How do we stay top of mind because we cancel the show? <clears throat> and so what we did was we you know, pretty quickly announced a, a half-day um, event where we put together a whole bunch of content. Um, and, um, and that was our view of like, that was the virtual event that we would do. And, um, you know, a day or two before uh, we were going to go live with the content, just to be completely honest with you guys, I looked at it and I wasn't very happy with it. Um, and we became the first, not only <coughs> the uh, physical event to get canceled, but also uh, the first virtual event <laughs> to actually get canceled because um, we pulled the plug on it. And we had thousands of people signed up and we uh, we emailed them saying, you know what, until we have figured out how to get this stuff right, um, we're not going to do it. And uh, and so um, because we weren't 100% confident that what we, would gonna, what we were going to put out was, was a great use of people's time, um, we just pulled the plug on it. Um, and so, um, so our first view of a virtual event, uh, what we would do and why we were doing it kind of fell flat. Um, you know, I think at that point, um, you know, things had moved on uh, from the perspective of um, of COVID and you know the implications of COVID on the retail industry. So, um, so we made our first pivot at that point, which was basically uh, um, me challenging our content team with the question of of um, how can we really help the industry get through the pandemic, right? No longer focused on how do we stay relevant, but um, what value can we provide? And, um, you know, I would still say that this was not a long-term event strategy. This was, um, you know, simply recognizing that COVID was going to be around much longer than we initially thought and, uh, and wanting to be useful to the industry. So in response to that question of how can we really help the industry, uh, we went a different route. We we created something called Shop Talks Retail Framework for COVID-19, uh, which was a pretty extensive spreadsheet. Um, we shared it as a Google Doc and we updated it every single day. Um, it's actually still live on our website, but basically it provides a very comprehensive view of how retail would evolve over the next one to three years. Uh, it includes a timeline of over 30 areas that are likely to change as a result of COVID-19. And we modeled out various scenarios of, uh, of how those things uh, would evolve given how COVID evolves. Um, and it examines things, you know, like shifts in consumer behavior and operational uh, changes. We supplemented that framework with four webinars um, that, that we produced to an exceptionally high level of quality with an internal video production team. And we also hosted a series of Slack conversations, um, which, you know, had a very significant amount of engagement uh, we did an hour a week um, on on these Slack discussions, uh, so that people could share their view on the feedback, where they think you know we might have gotten it wrong, or where we could add more detail and, and things like that. And so, kind of this next effort in in virtual was um, you know to kind of get back to more of our roots of how do we be that utility that can make a difference to the industry when it needs it most. 
Um, and the feedback we got from, from the framework initiative was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, people really loved it. Um, they said that they, they used it in their businesses and they used it as part of their meetings and as a framework to check the, the, the things that they were working on. So we really felt like we had done something uh, that the industry found useful. Um, you know, but as time went on, I think what became apparent to us was that we did need to think of virtual, not just in terms of um, uh, how do we help the industry with a specific topic like COVID or at a particular point in time, and how do we think of virtual as a longer term part of our event strategy. Hmm. And I think that, that the analogy to retail is actually a good one here because mm-hmm. the way that we're thinking about it is that just like retail, events need to be omnichannel. And, and so we sat down um, uh, a few months ago uh, and we said, you know, what does an omnichannel strategy for events look like? And, uh, and that's when we came up with, um, with Shop Talk Meetup. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's, I would say that we're building it to be a permanent part of the retail industry event landscape going forward. We're not doing this the way that we did the framework, which was, again, to solve something at a particular point in time. We're building a new, what I would call, standard event offering or, or standard product for the retail industry. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, I'll get into the details of what it is, but, um, uh, but I think that, that what we've put out there is resonating with the industry. We have over 2,500 people that have signed up from over 1,400 organizations. And I think, um, uh, importantly, because this gets to the heart of, of the ability to do this on an ongoing basis, the economics are proving that you can monetize virtual events in a way that rivals in-person events. Interesting. And I, and I, and I think that that is a watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, let me talk about what it is, because I think that helps understand, uh, like, why we think it's this a long-term solution for the retail industry. Um, and I think it helps explain why uh, we've gotten so much traction, uh, both, you know, no matter how you look at the numbers, whether it's the number of people that have signed up, the diversity of organizations, um, you know, there's, there's investors, there's um, retailers and brands, um, there's tech companies, internet companies, um, you know, the whole community that represents uh, Shop Talk and our in-person events is part of Meetup. Um, so, you know, a few things about Meetup. Number one, it was a ground-up belt. This is something we built from scratch. Um, but the reason we were able to do it is because, um, you know, we have incorporated technology into Shop Talk historically. So think about the hosted retailers and brands program that we do, where we, where we facilitate 10,000 on-site meetings. That was done um, using proprietary technology that we built over the last two years. So we have a tremendous amount of experience, not only as an event organizer in the retail industry, but building technology uh, to bring people in the retail industry together for a handful of different use cases. So I think we were in a very different position than most event organizers to be able to look up, look at a ground up build um, and, uh, and create something you know, completely new. Um, so we have a 25-plus person engineering team, uh, front end, back end, that, uh, that we've had working pretty much around the clock, I can say, um, you know, uh, building this for the last few months. And we're actually very excited that, it, that the program goes live, and I'll talk about what, what it means to go live um, uh, in, a, in a second, but it actually goes live on Monday with the first step in preparing for the actual event itself. But, but let me talk about what the event is. So I think the easiest way to describe it is it's an entirely new way for everyone in the retail industry to connect with each other. Um, it's pretty much the only place the industry has right now, and I think is likely to be the case for much of 2021, uh, to make new connections. 
So yeah, how I'm curious. So, yeah, like how so? I'm curious. Like that's that's interesting. What do you mean explicitly? Explicitly. So, um, so the event itself is going to take place uh, online over three days: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, October twentieth to twenty second. And <laughs> and uh, what basically people will be able to do is they will be able to meet with each other. So there's two basic categories of of meetings as part of Meetup. The first is that uh, uh, during those three days, everyone will be able to join up to 36 15-minute meetings. Every single meeting is double opt-in. That means that everyone has picked each other to meet with. Uh, And there's a short break in between meetings. Um, If people were matched with each other and they told us that they were very interested in those meetings and we don't have time during those three days uh, to fit all of their meetings into those 36 meeting slots, uh, we will actually follow up after the event with uh, up to 24 additional email introductions. Um, but the base, the baseline product that we're offering is during three half days, basically think of it from noon to 4 p.m., Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, October 20th to 22nd. Um, each day you have 12 uh, 15-minute meetings. Over three days, that's 36 meetings. Um, Starting next week, we take you through a three-week process where um, you get to, to pick everyone you want to meet with um, and you know, share with them information that's relevant to them deciding if they want to meet with you. Um, and, uh, and, and that ultimately results in, in the meetings. But uh, look, let me take you through it in a, in a slightly more granular, granular way. The other thing is that there is another product that we have, which we call Table Talks. Table Talks are 55-minute peer group conversations. Basically, we put together groups of five to eight peers so that they can discuss some of you know, today's most pressing uh, topics. So two different formats, um, you know, 15, 36, 15-minute uh, meetings, and then two 55-minute table talks. But uh, let me just take you through kind of that three-week process. So starting this Monday, uh, September 28th, we're going to email all <clears throat> 2,500 people. And what we're going to ask them to do is uh, complete a profile. Um, and that profile is about themselves as individuals. It's about their organizations. But it's also um, what's going on with their organization. So, for example, uh, let's say that you have a, uh, a specific solution that helps uh, retailers and brands with challenges and opportunities related to COVID-19. We're going to have a place where you can you know, put that in as part of your profile. Well, let's say that you want to make an exclusive offer or promotion and, you know, discounted rates or, uh, you know, trial period, especially mm. for people who are participating in Meetup. You'll have the ability to put that in as part of your profile. Let's mm. say that you want to make an announcement. You want to announce new customers or a partnership or uh, funding or something like that, or you're launching a new product. You have a place in your profile where you can add that. Uh, if you're a startup and you're offering a beta program or if you're an accelerator or incubator um, program and you're offering um, offering that. Uh, if you're a company, you have job p- uh, openings, you can post those. Um, uh, as an individual, if you want to be a mentor, you can add that to your profile. Or if you want to find a mentor, you can add that to, to your profile. Um, if you're between work right now and you're joining the program as, a, as an employee in transition, um, you, you, your profile can actually include <clears throat> some uh, 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 specific data points uh, about you around the kind of job you're looking for and the level and uh, and the functional area you're interested in, things like that. So basically next week, starting Monday, ending Friday, uh, all 2,500 people get to build these profiles of themselves. And the following Monday, which is October 5th, that's the second week of our process, um, we basically take those profiles and at the, at, uh, simultaneously share them with everyone. So now, you know, starting Monday, October 5th, um, for the rest of that week, uh, ending on Friday, October 9th, you can look at everyone's profile and you can select everyone you want to meet with. That's and, playing matchmaker, basically. You're, basically, you're facilitating well, the matchmaking process through, through these exactly. next couple and of I think Okay. Exactly, Chris. And I think that is the key, is that we're not doing the matchmaking Mm-mm. We're allowing others to match with with each other, and mm-hmm. we're facilitating it. 
And that's why we think that double opt-in meetings where, um, where people have picked each other is actually the key, as opposed to us saying, hey, maybe you should be meeting this person, or maybe you should be meeting that person. We think people in this industry know who they want to meet with, or they know what kind of technology they're solving for, or they know what problem they have. Um, and what we're doing is we're giving them all the information they need to find the right people. So, you know, take the concept of serendipity, for example. People always talk about, you know, hey, I randomly met this person at an event. I randomly met that person at an event. You know, there's lots of different ways to build serendipity into a meetings program. You know, I've seen some people do it in a way where they say, hey, Chris, we're going to randomly pay you with someone because who knows, that might be a useful connection for you. That's one way of thinking of serendipity. Mm -hmm. Another way of thinking about it is, that when we send you the profiles of 2,500 people and we give you lots of different ways to filter, search, and sort those people, that you're going to come across people that you didn't necessarily think you might have come across or, you know, solutions that um, you hadn't necessarily thought of. Um, and, uh, and through that process of selecting people, um, you know, there's going to be serendipitous moments. The other side of it is, by the way, the following week, which is the third week of the process, when you've made all your selections. And by the way, when you make your selections, you can do things like give a reason for that meeting. You can tell us how interested you are in that meeting. You're just interested or you're very interested. Oh, in interesting. Okay. If, you have, if you have other colleagues in your organization that are participating in Meetup, you can invite them to join your meeting. Mm. So we're, we're, we're in that selection process we're giving you the types of tools that, um, that you would have if you were in person at Shop Talk. So you might pull in one of your colleagues and say, hey, can you join this meeting with me? And that colleague might say, might say sure. Or they might say, you know what, I actually have a conflict at that, at that time, so I can't join. Uh, go ahead without me. Mm-hmm. We've built all of those types of capabilities uh, into this uh, program. So the following week, uh, what we then do is we take all of those requests to meet with each other. And, and to the extent that you don't have what we call true mutual matches, you both picked each other, we'll share all of those requests to meet with you. So let's say, Chris, that you, know, you had 60 people that want to meet with you. Um, you, for example, will be listed there as media. Um, uh, you, they'll find you on a media list or you know, any, uh, uh, in a number of other ways. Um, and uh, they'll tell you a reason. It's optional, but they could tell you a reason why they want to meet with you. Um, and then you're going to get that request. And by the way, that's also where serendipity comes into it. Oh, I didn't, I didn't think about meeting with that person, but they want to meet with me. You'll then right. have the ability to opt in for all of those requests. Well, sorry, that's what I love about this, though, too, is that you talked about it before, but the omni-channel conception of how this all works and this being a product that is just complementary to the overall way these things are structured in general. Like the thing that always was tough for me. I mean, if you think about how these types of setups worked, it was always, Hey, let's go walk the floor and I'm, I'm media and I'm interested in meeting companies who I might want to work with. And you know, I'm, I'm going through all that. And then you can try to also plan that all in advance. And then sometimes you find yourself too overscheduled. And so you can't have that all happen this actually makes that all happen for me. And then you're actually taking the physical location out of it, needing to be a part of it too, which is, it's quite compelling. Like I'm looking forward, the way you're describing, I'm looking forward to participating in it because I think it's going to make just my day-to-day work and my day-to-day ability to connect with people that much more efficient. And you get the early so, yeah. buy-in too from people, I think. Like, yeah, and I know they want to meet with me, this. right? Yeah, yeah. right. Not like going up to the booth yeah. and being like, hey, I'm Chris, <laughs> senior contributor at Forbes. Can I talk to you? And you right. Know, Maybe, maybe not, right? Like, it just depends. So let's take your example, Chris, or you, Anne. Let, let's say that, that um, you guys uh, want to write an article, Chris, you want to write an article for Forbes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you want to cover all the announcements that are being made as part of Shop Talk Meetup. Right. Well, when you, when, you, when you log in to make your selection, one of the, the pre-filtered featured lists that you can look at is everyone who's making an announcement. Well, let's say that you wanted to write an article on all the, you know, companies that are have uh, solutions or products or technologies that address a opportunity or challenge associated with COVID-19. You can search based on that uh, and and write an article about those. So we make finding people um, to meet with easy 
um, and, 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 and being able to source who you want to meet with, you know, very simple. Um, and, and I think that is a key part of this. And I think that, that really what's at the heart of this program in some ways is that it's not just about what it is, but it's also about what it is not. So for example, what the approach we did not use was to simply take shop talk as it exists as an in-person event and put it online. Because our view there was that, you know, it's hard to really get people collaborating and working with each other when, you know, some of them are off doing other things like listening to webinar type content or speakers or whatever. So there's too much of right now, quite frankly. It's too much. And, and I think that when you solve in a virtual online context, um, you know, you have to reduce it to um, things people do in common. So for example, um, you know, the, the basic concept here is that we're taking everyone through the same funnel. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so all 2,500 people are focused on exactly the same thing. And, and, and the way to get the best result for all 2,500 people is to have them all focused on one thing. If, if you give them eight things to do, mm-hmm. it's very hard to find, to, to solve for the network effect, to have an outcome that delivers for eight different things. You can deliver for one thing at one moment in time. Yeah, and you're getting to kind of innovation theory here again and almost kind of minimum viable product in terms of what you're trying to put out. I mean, I think that's why I said what I said in the beginning and that's why I've always admired the work that you're doing too because, I mean, you're you're building this plane as you're landing the plane too. I mean, the other thing I thought that was really that I want to pull out for the listeners too is like, and I because I can remember at the time I was part of that content back in that first virtual session and and you made the call to say, we're not going to do this. And I can remember people asking me, and what do you think happened? I said, like, if I know Neil, he probably said it's just, it wasn't the right thing to do. Like, how, how hard was that decision and that willingness to be able to say, you know what, we need to start over and do this again? Like, I mean, is that, is that a lesson? Like, is that a lesson you've learned? And are there any other lessons you've learned during this process that you'd share with others just in terms of how, how you bring innovation to market? You know, this might sound crazy, Chris, but it was actually a very easy decision for me. It doesn't surprise it's me It's very all. simple. Yeah. yeah. If, if I can't stand behind the product, mm-hmm. then there is no decision. Then I'll, I'd rather pull the plug and explain it to people mm-hmm. um, than put out a bad product. It doesn't seem like there's a decision to be made there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if there's one lesson that I guess I've, I've learned, it's that, um, that the most important thing is to really focus on the product. Hmm. Um, and it's very hard to get distracted from that product. Like, and I think your, your question is a, is a very good one in that, in that regard, which is, you know, that th- could have been many other, uh, ways to come out on that decision. Um, if I'd cared about things other than the product. So if I'd cared about, you know, Hey, how's it going to look canceling this last minute with thousands of people signed up, right. you know, that's a challenge and therefore, we can't cancel. But when you put the product first, um, decisions are pretty obvious. You know it when you see it. Um, if the product's not good enough or, you know, you gave it an honest shot, you thought it would be better, you see it, it's just not quite good enough. You know, my experience is that when people see you trying, they actually want to help you get better. They're very forgiving uh, when it comes to things like that. But when you, when you put out a series of bad products, um, you know, they're not forgiving uh, any longer. Uh, in fact, the next bad product they're criticizing. So a big part of how we build things uh, is, is just to be straight with people that we care a lot about the product and ultimately that is the thing that, that matters most to us. And, and, and I think that like, for example, when it comes to innovation right now, uh, especially coming out of, you know, uh, especially given COVID and the, the impact that it's having on accelerating innovation, I think this is probably the hardest thing for people to do, which is um, be true to the product um, hmm. versus, you know, all the other baggage um, that can cause you to make decisions that can end up being the wrong decisions. So, um, you know, l- let me give you, you know, let me give you an example. So if you were to take the example of the events industry, um, you know, I'd, I'd put people in the events industry into two categories, um, two major categories. 
<clears throat> first is companies who are just really waiting for things to get back to normal. Right. Um, you know, maybe they've raised capital, maybe they've cut expenses, maybe they haven't done either of those things, or, uh, you know, maybe they're looking at what, what is happening in other regions of the world, like China, uh, where events have restarted, and they're giving those examples of, you know, just give it time and everything will be back to normal. Uh, those companies really aren't interested in the creating the future of events. They're not really interested in, in, in virtual as, um, you know, part of their long-term strategy. Um, what they're looking at is where they are today, where they have been in the past, uh, and projecting a path forward from there. Um, so they're doing virtual events. It's not that they're not doing them, but they're doing them um, uh, as a, what I would call a stopgap measure. Like, we need to do this right now. Let's give it time. We'll work through this. This will be behind us at some point. There's pent-up demand. Events will be back. And when they're back, uh, we'll be back to normal. Um, and, you know, they're doing things like basic webinars or if they've had to cancel their events, they're, they're taking their events the way that they existed offline and they're putting them online. Right. So that's kind of category um, number one. The, the second category, and I think we're in the second category, um, is, is companies that are sitting down and asking themselves the question, um, what disruptive virtual event can I build now? that helps people accomplish what they were otherwise achieving at an in-person event. Right. And, um, and, and I think if you ask that question of build from the ground up, you're not starting from where I am today going forward. You're literally starting from what would that ideal perfect product be? And let me work back from there. <laughs> right. It's the same and, thing I've and, about, answer we said about malls. Like don't, right just reconceive the shopping mall, pretend you're never opening, you know, pretend COVID's here to stay. How would you reconceive of the shopping mall? Right. I mean, it's the same exact idea. Sorry, keep going. Again. No, that's exactly right. So if you were to, if I were to describe, you know, how do you define an event? Like if you were to ask anyone in the events industry or frankly, anyone who's ever even been to an event, what is an event? You know, if you ask 10 people, you're going to get 15 different definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if I had to define Shop Talk Meetup, I would define it as a cross-organization remote collaboration tool. What we have built is the ability for companies to work with each other online. It's a tool. It's a remote collaboration tool. And, it, and, and it's an event to the extent that it relies on solving the network effect over a handful of days. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, if I were to say, what business are we in today? And how does that translate into virtual? I don't think I would have gotten to us having built a remote collaboration tool and be, that be the definition of an event. The way we got there was by saying, if we were to start with a blank sheet of paper and we were to say, what do we build? You know, let's not go to the, the easy place to go. We have tons of people we can go to who love speaking at our events that, would, that are very senior, great you know, speakers right. who would do content for us. That's like the obvious place to go, right? And, and the reality is that, frankly, I think that what's happening is that there is so much of that happening because so it is the path of least resistance yep. that it's becoming commoditized. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's becoming commoditized at a level of pretty minimal value. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's probably too many webinars, we're over-indexing, uh, and there's probably not enough value uh, coming out of that whole product line. Yeah, it's lazy content. Um, That's what we always talk about. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's lazy content. It's easy to get it out there, but it's, it's not going at the core of the mission you said. I mean, even from the beginning, what you said in the very beginning, how you describe what Shop Talk is, the physicality of it is almost irrelevant. I think so. I think, you know, when you, when it's just, a you know, part. but if you're in the business. Yeah. Say it again. I said, it's, it's a part of it if it needs to be, but I shouldn't say it's, it's irrelevant. It's not an essential element of the description, right? It's the physicality can be brought into the equation whenever it's required. If you think about your mission in a different way, as you were describing it. 
And I think it's not just figuring out how do we move a physical event into a digital space or a remote space. It's really identifying what the problems there are to solve and then in this environment, how you solve them. And for you, it sounds like it's creating this this platform for, for connecting in a virtual way. That's exactly right. I mean, maybe another way of, of saying it is that I don't know what the percentages are, but, you know, let me just talk in general terms here for a second. Probably 50% of what happens at offline events is best done at offline events. But 50% of what happens at offline events is probably done better online. And our Mm -hmm. goal is to find that 50% Mm -hmm. that happens offline today that is going to be done better online. And our view is that if we can nail that, then that's how virtual events become a permanent part of the landscape. And that's ultimately what gets you to omni-channel events. That the stuff that is best done offline, like, you know, going to dinner with people, you know, spending time with them and and building friendships, um, you know, being social, we're not looking to replace that Mm -hmm. online. that, That is best done at offline events. Um, but, you know, lead gen, for example, or putting together entirely new peer groups to discuss topics of common interest with no competitors at the table. That's something that can be done online and be extremely valuable to people that doesn't have to be done at an offline event. Um, in fact, if you have the combination of the two, the two should, um, uh, work with each other, um, and, and give you two different touch points that benefit from the existence of each other. So, you know, we're revisiting the whole notion of events as omnichannel, and we're going back to like what I call this blank sheet of paper each time and saying, what should it look like? What is that 50% that, let's not even try to digitize it. Let's not try to virtualize it because it's always going to be done better offline. The thing we think is going to end up happening as a result of this is that our offline events will get better as well. Right. Yep. Yeah, because you'll take the best of the best from both words. Which again, going back to the word again, I mean, like or like the word or not, that is what really the true definition of omnichannel anything really is all about. Well, hey, I I'm super inspired by this. I knew this was going to happen. I'm like super. I'm like really geeked up right now. To, once we we finish here, to start working with Anne on some of the things we've been talking about in terms of our own reinvention of Omni Talk and how that's going to move forward for the balance of the year and into into 2021. So I already want to thank you for that. Um, but we have to do, I think now, I think as a capstone of that, and I can feel the energy starting in me already, I think we got to play our signature game with you, which is how millennial are you? Are you, uh, are you ready to give that one a go with us? Sure. Let's do it. All right. All right. Let's go. All right. And when you are paying for groceries, you're at a convenience store, are you pulling out your credit card or are you using some form of mobile payment? Apple Pay, Samsung Pay. So I have maybe a little unfair advantage here because I came out of FinTech and consumer payments and, um, and actually I was part of the Google, initial Google Wallet team. Um, so it's for me, Apple Pay all the way. And uh, I don't even carry cash or credit cards anymore, just my phone. I think, Neil, I think that's the equivalent of like knowing a band before they were cool. Like I was the <laughs> one of the originals, the test beta users for Google Pay. So I, don't I, know think- if it, I, I was going to say that too. I don't know if it's an unfair advantage or actually it's setting a very high expectation that I already <laughs> have for you about the answer to that question. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Okay, Neil, next question is, how many times in the last week have you ordered food or drinks from an app? Well, I have a phenomenal mother-in-law who cooks for me every single day. I do text her. Like she says, text me what you want. And she'll text me when it's ready. So I don't know if that counts, but Uh, but I would like the credit for that one. uh, Yeah, that sounds incredible. What is your favorite thing? Like what's your go-to that you have or make for you? Oh, wow. There's so much. Basically anything she cooks, but um, it's all Indian food. She's an absolutely phenomenal Indian cook. And if I wasn't in uh, the events industry, I would be doing a Indian food cloud kitchen. Ooh. Okay. All right. You heard it there. Wow. 
Not only that, but I think you serendipitously might have discovered a new app, which is like we're a marketplace for mother-in-laws to make food. I think <laughs> I signed me up for that one. Right. Doesn't yes. even have to be your own mother-in-law. No, right. it could be anybody's. Yeah, no, absolutely. Last question, Anil. If you could only use one social platform, what platform would it be and why? I'm definitely not going to be cool here. So mine would have to be LinkedIn. Okay. Um, you know, for me, LinkedIn, I think different people use LinkedIn differently. Hmm. Um, I use it as everything from kind of my Rolodex of people that I know well and stay in contact with and get updates about, but I use it as a phenomenal marketing database as well. Um, and so its utility is actually so great across so many different use cases for me. Um, and, you know, just scrolling through it, um, uh, you, you get an update on pretty much everything that's going on um, with organizations, with people in the world. Um, it's definitely not my primary news source, but, um, you know, I find that spending, I spend most of, of the time that I spend on social media, I spend most of it uh, on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I find it time well spent. So I got to go with LinkedIn. And where you publish papers. And inquiries yeah. on people like Ramanujan and others. We're, we're looking That's forward right. to that. Yeah. That's coming up. All right, Anil. Well, I, I would say that you passed. I would say you can, you're, you're sufficiently millennial. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> oh, yeah. Anytime we can get a new business model out of something, too, with the whole mother <laughs> app idea, I think we got something going here. So who knows if it's a good idea, but, uh, but hey, if anyone can pull it off, it's probably Anil. So, uh, well, hey, man, that was great. Um, God, I'm, Thank you so much for doing this with us. I, we've been wanting to do it for a long time. Really, really appreciate getting the opportunity to sit down with you because I learn a lot every time I, I talk to you. And like I said, I can't actually wait to take some of what you just taught me here in the last 30 or 40 minutes and, and start applying it to my business. Um, with Shop Talk Meetups just around the corner, if people are listening to this and they're like, hey, I want to get involved in that. I want to try to network and meet some of my peers in the way you described. Like, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Just go to shoptalkmeetup.com. It's that easy. Seems like that makes sense. Totally intuitive. All right. Well, again, Anil Agarwal, thank you so much for being with us. To all our listeners out there, as always, be careful out there. Mm-hmm.